Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. And then every now and then, some other joker rolls in here. <laughs> he is here. Todd Wagner, Senior Pastor of Watermark Community Church. And Adam, yes. just like the Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. Todd has been bitten by a snake and lived to tell about it. Oh, yes. not just any snake. A poisonous Do tell. viper. Do tell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is not somebody who believes that Mark 16, there we go. 9 down through the end of the chapter is in the original <laughs> manuscripts and you should pick up serpents and drink deadly poison or worse yet, serpents that have deadly poison in them. But uh, yes, that happened. Where were you? Come on, give us some details there. <laughs> what a tease. Well, the tease was I was actually in South Texas. I was at I was teaching at a family camp one summer, and it was after kind of one of the evening sessions, and it was right there by sunset. And we're sitting around, a bunch of kids were playing. I was talking to some of the parents, and the kids all go, ah, a snake, a snake, a snake. And so, you know, I kind of quickly walked over, and sure enough, I looked down as a copperhead. And one of the other moms that was there, and I, I picked up a stick right away, and I, I, I went bang, and I hit the stick right behind the snake's head. Yeah. Okay, to kind of pin it down. And I was don't you hurt that snake? Don't you hurt that snake? My daddy's a herpetologist. That's literally what she said. And I yeah. go, well, good. Then you know what kind of snake that is. Look at the hourglass design. Look at the color combo. And you could tell by the shape of the head, you know, uh, actually she rebuked me and said, that's not a copperhead. And I said, oh, yes, you can. You can tell by this. And if your daddy taught you, you would know that's a poisonous <laughs> snake. And as I looked up at her to explain and point out the finer details of a copperhead, I felt that sucker move. It, it was on it was moist soil and it pushed down. I felt it go down. And I, I looked down right when I couldn't get enough pressure. That thing rolled out and bam hit me. And I took that stick and I went right back down and drove it through its head. And I picked it up and I said, and the other way you'll know it's a copperhead in about 15 minutes is my arm's going to look like Popeye's, <laughs> you stupid daughter of a herpetologist. And uh, I didn't say that. I know. And I thought it much meaner than that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I really was thinking even more, you stupid person playing with a copperhead. Yes. I wasn't playing with it. I just should have killed it and then done the lesson. So there's there's what I was saying. Here's wow. the, the big takeaway from this one. Kill the snake first. First and then teach. Then talk about it. That is poisonous. There we go. So well, how, how bad did it swell up? Oh, it swelled up bad. Did uh, you go to the doctor? Oh, I had to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, they raced me to the hospital. I mean, right away, I, it, first thing I did, which was smart, is I took my ring off. Uh, uh, yeah. And then pro um, tips, like you, you, can't, get, you can't get this anywhere else. I on knew any other podcast. It's the only takeaway somebody's going to have. I from knew this it episode. was coming, and so anyway, they we raced to a hospital, which was great fun because it was one of those real times you could just go on Texas highways as fast as you wanted, and yep. you had the excuse because I, I put the snake in the car with me just so I had evidence. Yeah, and yes. so <laughs> I'm driving as fast as I possibly can on Texas highway to this hospital. And uh, we got there, and I brought the snake in, and they did not like that. They go, get that snake out of here. Oh, no. I go, well, I want you to see what the antivenom is I need. And so anyway, they, I said, what would you do with the last guy that came in that was bitten? They go, we care flighted him to Austin. And that's when I all of a sudden realized I probably ought to be a little bit more aware of what I had gotten myself into. So you got the right. antivenom and everything. Well, here's the other thing they told me right then. So we've already bored people on this podcast, yeah. but they said there's a national shortage right now in antivenom. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, because yeah. they were moving from the horse-based serum that they used uh, to a synthetic, and it had not yet been distributed to all the hospitals. And so that's why they had to care flight that got off. Wow. So lucky me being... You know, a little bigger than the average Joe. Um, I they said we're just going to watch you in in this case, and we'll see how it does. But if it gets to a certain level, and it did, man, that thing just raced and it just completely filled up my yeah. forearm. I could not move my hand because the skin it swelled up to where I couldn't touch 
any of my fingers to my thumb because all the elasticity that's in your skin was gone. Yeah. And it just, I, my, um, I looked swole <laughs> on wow. just my left side, which, you know, uh, was all good. But if they said, if it gets up past your shoulder, you're gone, you know, you're going to the hospital. I mean, you're going to care flight because that's where it's going to really mess with you. And by the grace of God, about three in the morning, um, I, I, it, it looked like it wasn't advancing. And so about three, and, and what really almost got me in trouble is they were going to bring in some country hack who was going to aspirate my skin. That was what they were going to do. Yeah, before I'm they out. Sent me. I'm out on that. And the problem is, <laughs> is, you know, to cut me to do that, I thought this guy's going to cut some nerve and the rest of my life. I'm going to have a, you know, dangling left hand because yeah. I was trying to teach some herptologist's daughter what a copperhead was. Man. So wow. Anyway, there's that the turn, story. That turned out so much better. I was, yeah. I was just like a throwaway. Yeah. Let's, and just, now, let's just end there. So <laughs> we have prepared these guys exceedingly well for the next time they're bitten by a snake. We've, yep. we've done that well. I hope we can prepare them as well for our topic that we are actually talking about yes. uh, today. Adam, you want to introduce it? Well, today we're going to talk about what do you do when a staff member falls? Uh, this may come as a surprise. Oh, man, there's a segue, right? Yeah. When, when the snake gets them, right? Yes. There you oh, go. There we go. There you go. See, kind of wow. dad jokeish, but it works. Well, right? the, the right? Yeah. yeah. When they yeah. follow the the lie to trouble, man, it's out yeah. there. There we but go. You crushed its head. So now, well done. But this may be a surprise to some of our listeners. Where the three of us were here on staff at Watermark Community Church, and our staff members, they're Christians. I don't know if that's a surprise or not, <laughs> but that means that from time to time they sin. Uh, all of us have that propensity to do that. And uh, like so, unlike some other organizations, though, as a church, we can't always ignore this. We can't just sweep it under the rug. And so sometimes, uh, in all seriousness, you have to take it real serious. And so today we're going to talk about just some ways we think about that. And because uh, I know every church staff that's out there probably deals with this on some level. Yeah, that's good. So Todd, I've, you know, just sitting in the circle with you, brother, for all these years, I've really appreciated how you've led through these situations. And so uh, not everybody will get to sit in a room with you and watch you handle this. But that's the hope today is that, you know, Adam and I can throw you a couple softballs and you could just kind of let the listeners humbly just let them in how you how you think about that uh, as a leader when your staff, uh, you know, when they sin or when they struggle or fall uh, in some ways, I think that will really, really serve the audience well. So you, do you have some introductory thoughts? I mean, how do you even, so when this happens, happens, uh, what, what goes across your mind first, your heart, what prayers are you praying? Like, uh, when, when you first get wind of something like that? Yeah, well, I think I, I, I want to just stick on what Adam said there at the very beginning. And one of the things that's, um, I think sometimes we run into is this idea that, man, if we love Jesus, we wouldn't really significantly struggle with sin. It's just right. the opposite, right? Yeah. I mean, it says, um, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if I was an enemy, the guys I would attack the most and go after the most are the people that are the most useful to the opposite cause. Yeah. And so, you know, it is, we, we've done, haven't we done a, a church leaders podcast on just authenticity and a, mm-hmm. a church leader's inner circle yep. and all yep. that? Yeah. Yep. I mean, One of the so first man, ones. Insert that into your spiritual life and process here. Yeah. You are completely naive if you believe that this is not going to be a constant terror in your life into the life of those that you lead alongside of. Um, you know, just just remember, I mean, I think sometimes people just get shocked when a Christian leader or a Christian uh, a church staff person sins in a way beyond the constant, what I would say, meddlesome, troublesome sin that haunts us you know, with just little spikes in emotion and anger and, and frustration. But, you know, too many of us are thinking right now only about sexual sin. Don't just do that. Unfortunately, it's one that it's takes good. us out a lot. Right. But I would just say um, uh, unapproachability and anger and uh, and self-righteousness or sloth are just as venomous to the soul and to the, um, you know, respect of the ministry. But 
you just, here's what I would tell you is that so many times guys who are serious about God's word, you know, they, they're still going to sin. And I want to remind you that the, the strategy that we have to fight temptation is not just cerebral, right? I mean, it, it's, it is um, a war of the soul and that, that, that roaring lion seeks who he might devour. Information is not going to be enough to keep you mm. from defeating you. So just because mm. you have somebody who's able to teach great doctrine and articulate great truths of the faith, that's not going to make them immune right. to great temptations. In fact, in some ways, if well, if they don't cultivate intimacy with the Father and and, and with Christ and the Spirit, man, they're going to be really in trouble. I, I think I want to say this right here. I remember uh, Doc Hendricks, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, um, used to talk about an extensive study that that um, Dallas Christian Leadership Center put on about pastors that fell. Mm. And there were four attributes of pastors that fell. I'll just tick them off real quick. Yeah. Okay. And so these were the four things that they found to be true of guys that, that, that fell. Number one is they stopped, if you will, just their daily abiding uh, with Christ. There was a, a fall off in not just the spiritual disciplines, but the intimacy that you need. Yep. Right. Yep. So that apart from me, you can do nothing. I would even say apart from him, you'll do anything. Mm. Okay. You will screw up. Okay. Which really led to the second one, which was they never thought it would happen to them. There was something about them that ignored the admonition of first Corinthians 10, 12, you know, which is beware you who think you stand lest you fall. Um, all of us, um, are prone to make that mistake. Mm. Okay. Um, and so that was the the second thing. Yeah. Um, the third thing was, and I'm not sure I'm giving you in the exact same order uh, that they did, but the third thing was they'd spend time with members of the opposite sex, just counseling and giving them um, pastoral care and comfort. I mean, you get alone with a broken, hurting person and you show compassion, tenderness. I mean, that is like, Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's about as seductive a thing as you can do mm-hmm. to a person of the opposite sex, you know. Um, and so they put themselves in those situations, and it caused them no small amount of trouble. And the fourth one, um, and I think probably when Hendricks taught about this, it was the second one he said. But is they, they didn't have a, a genuine level of accountability mm. around them. There wasn't biblical community. And again, I just want to commend you guys to go back and listen to the the podcast that we did, which will make you know notes in the show notes and the direct link to this one yeah. about why you as a senior leader, but if you're not walking in humility and authenticity with the guys around you, not sharing with your fellow elders, fellow pastors, fellow leaders, um, areas that you're most vulnerable to, um, to, to fall in, then man, you're not, you're not strong. You're probably next. Yes. So, okay. But anyway, those, those things were out there. And I would just remind people just in general that, um, when you watch somebody that you go, man, that guy's so smart and that guy's such a great leader. How in the world could they make that terrible mistake? I mean, I, let me just tell you, sin is irrational. Mm. Okay. I mean, if you try and figure out how the guy did it, you know, it, it's not going to make sense. It's mm-hmm. self-destructive mm-hmm. and it's irrational and you shouldn't be shocked by it. Okay. Um, you should be reminded by it and warned that every single one of us are at the mercy of God. I, I you know, I, I will just say, I every day, man, I just, I live in terror mm-hmm. of what I'm capable of. Yeah. And so I'm constantly asking the Lord, Lord, protect me another day. Keep me safe here. Help me be wise. Let me stay clear in, in my intimate relationship with you. Let me tell the guys around me who they are. I don't, you know, I think it was famously called the Billy Graham rule recently. That's not the Billy Graham rule. I just call it wisdom. Yeah. Okay. And I just don't, I've never counseled a woman. I am, I am 
Uh, I don't like to get on an elevator alone because yeah. somebody might on the next floor get on and be just a woman. Yeah. So I'm I'm very careful about that. And believe me, I know it could happen. And when you say council woman, you really mean one on one, right? Yes, like you've been in yeah. in group meetings sure. and things like that. But just yeah. the, I just the don't. One-on-one. I won't spend time alone. Yeah. Remember the opposite sex meals, uh, giving. Uh, conversations too. I just am a freak about it. Frankly, I don't do it much with guys. Yeah. Right. Because, uh, it's a good way to disciple others. Don't add another meeting to your week. Add another man to your meeting, make disciples. That's good. That's good. Okay. So I I like, I like how you're setting all that up. Those four things are fantastic. So when this happens here on staff, if we just think about a couple of examples here, so let's say, um, you get an email from a director and they say, Hey, I I need to talk to you. Somebody just told me something. Mm-hmm. What, what's your process there? How do you think through all that? Uh, why, don't, why don't you just go as much as you can, just play by play on how you, uh, how you try to process. Yeah, so that. over the years, you know, um, we've been around as a, as a church leadership team for yep. 20 years, right? Yep. We have had some folks who have um, chosen to not abide by those four things. I would tell you that that isn't just a study that was played out down there at the, you know, Center for Christian Leadership. Right. I would tell you that's exactly the four things I would say I have seen. Right. Um, we uh, we don't facilitate the the one on one counseling or the opposite sex counseling thing. But when you start to see people isolate with a member of the opposite sex, you're going to see and 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 not and, and Adam and John not even the opposite sex anymore. When you start to form mm-hmm. unhealthy codependent relationships with another person, you are setting yourself up for struggles in that area of that specific expression of moral failure. Right. Again, not the only one that we've had. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of anxiety and despair and depression that's circled off into really unhealthy places. Yep. Not the temptation to be despairing, but I would say the surrender to the hopelessness yep. that the enemy wants to take you to mm-hmm. has been some of the mm-hmm. um, the failure that mm-hmm. folks have experienced. Well said. But um, anyway, I, uh, I, I just listen a lot. I ask questions. I understand that a lot of confession um, is a lot of times like the proverbial peel of the onion. People usually are just telling you enough to make themselves feel better mm. uh, as opposed to really opening the wound up. Okay. So uh, the next episode will talk about when I was bit by a brown recluse and how my uh, <laughs> and my friend, uh, when he had to remove the necrotic tissue, all right, the dead tissue in my arm because of the poisoning of that particular little villain, um, he had to cut down to good tissue. Right, wow. you took the margins, yeah. and what a lot of times you just want to do is relieve the pressure, right? Uh, break through, if you will, the boil, but that's not what's going to get uh, when you have poison in there. That's not how you deal with it. You got to cut it out, and that means you got to get down to the core. And so I ask a lot of questions, I yeah. listen, and I I do all I can to really help people get well. Yeah. So I mean, what would be? How can you tell, or can you, when you start asking questions, to go? This may just be the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. They, they may just be looking for some emotional relief. Yeah, I think a lot of times people are. You know, you can see it on them for a long time, like it says in Psalm, what thirty-two, where David said, "Like the uh, wearying heat of summer yeah. is on them." You can see it a lot of times, but um, I never assume I have all the information. Mm. All right. In fact, I assume just the opposite. I and I, I just always tell folks, listen, you know, dumber people than you have fooled smarter people than me. That's <laughs> so I, I'm not, I just don't believe that I'm getting all the details. My goal isn't to get all the details so I win. The goal is to love this person so they get well. Proverbs 28, 13, he who confesses 
okay, and forsakes will find compassion, but he who conceals it will not prosper. Mm-hmm. My goal is to is to help these folks. I'm not trying to CYA. I'm not trying to make sure I don't have somebody at a certain level of offense to God yeah. that uh, they're no longer on my church staff because my goal is to love this brethren, yes. right? And some people go, well, that's why you don't confess sin because it might cost you your job. To you, I would say, listen, you don't want your job. You want intimacy with Jesus. There you go. And and if the only way to get innocent, you know, intimacy with Jesus is to confess that you're a slave to something that um, that is crippling your soul and you don't want people to know it so you can keep your job, then you, you have the wrong God to begin with. Yeah. Right. And so I really want to help the person get well. And, and, you know, people always say, well, yeah, if they get well, they're going to lose their job and Christians always shoot their wounded. I don't think it's shooting your wounded when somebody is already hurt Yes, and you pull them off the front lines so they can get well. So I just want to really what we're talking about right here is motivation. And if your motivation is damage control for your ministry and um, how you look, then then you're not even operating as a leader out of the love of Christ. I like what you're saying here because what I, I think what I'm hearing you say is this starts as a pastoral conversation, not as a professional conversation. That's right. Like you're just, you're trying to love the person who's right there, not just automatically start mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. how is this going to impact their profession. Yep. And I think and what a pro tip, but just to stay in the ring, be unhurried, continue to ask questions, yeah. follow-up questions. Is there anything else? All those kind of things. I think about a lot of times when someone is confessing or letting me in, kind of uh, the magic trick where there's all these um, handkerchiefs that are all tied together and you just yeah. keep pulling and pulling and pulling. And the second I start moving into, um, okay, great, let's deal with this, or you shouldn't have done that, then it stops. Yeah. And if I'll just stay in the ring like Todd's talking about, they will continue to pull out more, which is not to say that Todd said, it's not to to, to get them to have information to use against them. It's so that you can have all the information so that you can begin to kind of help them and then lead uh, through this situation. So uh, really, really good. So Todd, you've, you've now heard, <clears throat> we're just kind of walking through this process. Uh, you've heard someone kind of confess, um, let you in a little bit. Here's, you know, here's what's happened. Um, how do you start factoring what to do from there? Well, again, your goal is to serve the brother, the sister that you're dealing with in this particular situation. And so right away, um, one of the things you have to do is to make sure that you're going to set other people up for success. Now, I mean, I've immediately left this person just for a second. I'm going to come back to him. Yeah. Yeah. But when we're talking about when a leader fails, um, you know, uh, the reason that, that all of this really matters is because the currency of leadership is trust. Mm. Right. And, and we always say around here, right. The fastest way to build trust is through competency, but the fastest way to lose trust is through character. There's all kinds of scripture that talk about the qualifications of leadership. And so you are assessing in the back of your mind, you know, Hey, is this person now in a place where if other people knew what I knew, they, um, it would shatter their appropriate trust. Mm. Right. Um, is this person well enough to lead others? Or are they so wounded? They can't even lead. Yeah. That was just, just integrity, but with, um, with the, the, the force of character that, that you need to, to lead well, can they say, Hey, practice these things, the things that you have heard and, and seen and learned and received from me, practice these things. And the peace of God will be with you when there's no peace in their life. People see yeah. that right away. Right. So I would just want to say this again. I mean, listen, when, Christians are not, this is one of the things that people wrestle with all the time. Like, man, um, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so when I, I struggle, I don't want to tell people I'm struggling. Look, when you sin and you confess it, you're not being a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite hmm. when you sin and go, because I did it, it's not sin. Yeah. Right. And so when you're a Christian leader, if you feel like you can't confess temptation, first of all, temptation is not sin. 
Okay. If you can't even confess where you're sortily tempted, you will be quickly defeated. Mm. Right. And so you got to be able to have the freedom just to confess where you're tempted and say, you know, the phrase I use with my guys a lot is, man, it's high tide. Right. That ocean of sin is always there for me. But every now and then, man, I, I, it just encroaches. It's high tide. Yep. Yep. Things are coming in a different way, whether it's a desire for control or desire to have or desire for praise or desire to taste. Mm. Okay. You know, it's when it's, I can tell when it's high tide and I just say, hey, boys, you know, this is always there. But right now, let's talk about what I'm doing, what the full moon of my life is. It's maybe drawing it to me more. And maybe mm. it's nothing I'm doing. I'm just, acknowledging it's there. So um, anyway, so when, you, when you're hearing somebody confess, if it's a serious enough situation or an often, uh, Adam and John, an enduring enough situation where you see this person has not been free and they haven't been leading um, out of a character that's consistent, you realize, man, there's a vulnerability there that we need to deal with. And, and help them. So then you got to ask yourself, okay, if they are needing to uh, transition either for a season, okay, or or maybe a longer season. Adam, we actually, you and I did a real truth real quick on how long should a leader be out of ministry when, right. they, when there's a moral failure. Yeah. And we'll put a link to yeah, that be because yeah. we answer that very specifically. So that won't necessarily be a part of this episode, but we answer how long they should be out. Yeah. Right, right now we're talking about how do you love them? How do you handle it? Yeah. And, and what I would say is you have to think about other people. This kind of almost closes the thought we started, what, four or five minutes ago, which is, um, what do you mean think about others? Well, look, this is what the scripture says in Proverbs 25, two, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. In other words, curiosity is not sin, hmm. okay? Knowledge is, is, is well, God has all knowledge, right? And so we're made in his image, and we want more knowledge. Now, knowledge puffs up, and we all know about what Paul says about knowledge in general, but when there's something going on, it's the glory of an individual to know what's going on. And so you've got to ask yourself, so I can keep people from sinning, all right, which is to having to snoop around and speculate. What am I going to need to tell others about why there was a transition in this person's particular leadership? So I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but let me just tell you, one of the reasons you need to know what the truth is, is because you got to figure out what you're going to share with other people. And so um, I, I, I do have a pretty strong take on who should know, what they should know, yeah. and when they should know it. Let's hear And it. that's all about what we should get into. Let's go. All right. So um, let's let's talk about still just continuing then a little bit with the care of that individual. What I want that person to realize is that I'm committed to them. Mm. I'm not concerned, okay, um, about their how what their behavior is going to make me look like. We, we're going to deal with that. God yep. has survived kings who have made bad decisions with bathing women. Yes. And he's going to survive this situation too. That's good. Okay. So let's not get rattled. You know, I, I always want to just say one of the things I, I, I can remember, we had a person who was leading in um, one of our ministries that really made some terrible decisions. And it, I knew it was going to really wound some of those folks. So when we met with all the leaders first. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I said is, hey, we're, we're about to share some information with you. And um, the reason we are, I, I said, is so that you can help us love this person. And you need to know that that your leader, okay, has not failed. There's been, he's made no mistakes and he hasn't uh, done anything that will, will discourage you. He is still right where he's always been, seated at the right hand of the Father, mm. all right, interceding for the saints, glorified and ready to return and recompense men according to their deeds. Now, one of your fellow servants mm. has stumbled. 
All right. Let me just throw this in here right here because I think this is really helpful. I think there's a reason why in Hebrews, um, in chapter 13, right after um, we're admonished to um, pay attention to and and follow our leaders, like it says in, in verse 7, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. But the next verse, that's, that's, that's Hebrews 13, 7. You know what the next verse says? Uh. It says, Jesus Christ is the same. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, today, that's good, and forever. Your leaders may not be, right? That guy that you trusted that delivered the truth of Jesus, that truth is still true. And that guy is maybe still really in love with Jesus, but he has been not free lately. Yeah. And he's made some terrible decisions that you shouldn't imitate. And, um, and you should consider the result of their conduct. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one of the things that really, really troubles me is to watch how many times leaders that aren't a part of the sin sin themselves because they manage information and they think if we tell people the truth, it's going to rattle their confidence in the ministry. What rattles their confidence in the ministry is when you don't speak the truth in love and don't operate in wisdom as the leaders who are still in charge. That's so good. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So don't Mm -hmm. cause people to sin. Don't manage information. Don't gossip. Don't start a whisper campaign and let people um, and make people have to search around for what the truth is. Tell them, Okay, and and the the best thing to do, I I think, almost in every situation here, the leader themselves has been the one that's usually been there with yep. us, communicating that's right. yeah, that's what right. they've done, because we want them to get well, and um and so they're usually there to say, hey, will you forgive me? This is what's going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain a little bit how we got here. I'll just say this: I won't ever do a suicide. Okay, I won't ever do a suicide. Um, funeral without having an agreement from the family that we're going to talk about how this happened and why it happened. Yeah. Okay. Cause suicides don't happen in a vacuum. All right. And we're not going to pretend that it is. How could this happen? This is a perfectly uh, healthy abiding mm-hmm. in community, daily ingesting the word of God. Everything's wonderful person. No, we're going to deal with um, every fact that we have. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're not going to make up facts and there's always going to be stuff we don't understand. But I'm not going to do a suicide and act like this is just a mystery when we have some details that would probably explain how we got here. Mm. And likewise, you don't want to just say, hey, you know, out of respect for the people, we're not going to share with you what happened. Well, you ought to. Yeah. Because I think the people deserve it. Now, this gets into a little bit of the question, which is what's it mean in Matthew 18 when it says tell it to the church? Yep. Okay. So we always, you know, um, our our mindset is, well, first of all, when you're dealing with an elder or a pastor or a significant leader, I mean, the scriptures again tell us in First Timothy 6, 20, it says, those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. That 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 has to do with what we should do when, when we've done everything we can in addressing something that somebody doesn't want to address. We're going to share with people very broadly when, you know, an elder, everybody would know who the elder is, right? Or, you know, the word elder is the word pastor. Everybody's going to know who that person is. Um, but... Uh, in this case, if a person's confessed it, come to us. And there is going to be some difference here about whether or not someone's confessed it or it was found out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but when a person uh, maybe has been found out or and, and is now repenting, or maybe they repented because they just couldn't bear their sin anymore, you know, you still want to be wise about who you share it with. So we always gather in anybody that's under that person's influence, and then anybody who's going to be affected by that person's 
no longer having um, uh, a faith or a conduct worthy of imitating. Yeah. And we just want to explain it to them. Yeah. And we want to give them a chance to know we love them and we're for them. We're not running away from this person. They're going to be removed from a position of leadership as is appropriate, either for a season um, or terminally, if it would make sense in certain situations, uh, but that we love them. And that that's very clear and that our goal is for them to get well. Yeah. You know, this isn't about us. Their sin is um, not something that we're going to make about me where I'm like, oh, this is so painful to me. I mean, there's going to be some effects to me, but our goal is to love that person. As it, as it says, with the spirit of gentleness, first looking to ourselves, lest we too be tempted, we're to bear one another's burdens. And uh, and to help them. So, um, so let me ask you guys. I think in terms of uh, how we've done this. So, like in the case of this individual that that I'm talking about, that had pretty significant moral failure. Well, not pretty significant, extreme moral failure. We grabbed first together the leaders that yep. was on his team. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then we answered all the questions for them. And we just said, Hey guys, we believe it's important that other people hear about this the same way. So we don't want you to go back out and, and start kind of a whisper campaign or tell people, Oh my gosh, you won't believe what I know. But together in a very short period of time, we're going to now gather a broader community. And because you're leaders, we want you there to comfort them. So ask whatever questions you want. Um, and let's talk about why we're going to share certain levels of detail here right? And certain levels of detail there, but we're not going to leave out any details to other people. They're going to make them want to keep searching. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but for those leaders specifically who knew other people that were involved, we, 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 we talked about some of that stuff. Yeah. I always think that verse in Matthew 18, where it says, tell it to the church. I don't believe that's every single member. Okay. That's a part of the church. I think it's everybody who knows this individual is under and touched by this person's right. specific leadership. They're either part of the, the problem or part of the solution. And so that, that might be yeah. sometimes yeah. just a, uh, obviously the person's family, their community group, and maybe just their staff team. You know, that, that could be as far as it can go That's sometimes because right. right. that may be uh, where their church is and where their leadership, um, where their leadership influence begins and ends. Yeah. If your church is though a church of 25, right, right, then everybody in the church right. probably it. knows everybody in the church. There you go. And if that person, um, you know, that then, then I think it's a little different. Yeah. If you're a church of 2,500, it's probably still a church of 25 to 50 right. that needs to hear about That's it. That's usually what it ends up being. Unless yeah. it's the pastor yep. right, right. or an elder. Yep. Can you think in our 20 years, have you ever on a weekend service had to talk about a staff member? No, that's a great question. No, I have never yeah. had to do Which it. Which I think is a great example. Yeah. And so what we've done, and I think the example that you Because by the grace of God, nobody that everybody in that body knew right. had, had, had been in one of these situations. Right. right. And we've talked about staff transitions and yeah. stuff on, on the stage and, and on the weekends, you know, when there's major staff transitions, but not in this particular situation where there's been a moral failure. That's right. But I would say at Watermark go. in our context, and I think people listening to this maybe have a good subset or idea of how big we are. I would say I've been in rooms of, of 100 or a couple hundred. Yeah. Right. But never... Yeah all three, four services on a weekend to thousands of people who had no idea. Right. And so the example that you were using, we told, uh, we told the staff, we told the leaders of that ministry. And then that particular ministry had a weekly or a bi, uh, a couple times a month had a gathering. Yep. And so we told them, yep. And that's kind of where it ended at that point. That was the church. That was the influence that that person had. And that was uh, our application of Matthew 18 in that situation. And we always asked, I mean, after we were done, it was never like um, the president gave a statement and then walked off back into this protected area. (laughs) Very good point. Okay. I mean, we, 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 we didn't read a statement. Okay. We sat down, we talked about family. We talked about truth. I, I shared some of the ideas that we've already talked about. So good. Um, and then I just said, now, does anybody have any questions? 
And I have stayed there until there were no more questions. So I am a big, well, I I mean, I I think non-disclosure agreements, and we're not really talking about staff transitions, okay, which is like a quote unquote, a performance firing, not a sin issue. But man, I would just tell you, we ought to do one on non-disclosure agreements and just how egregious and wrong, in my opinion, unbiblical and unfounded those are. There we go. Okay. A little tease for a future podcast. But but in this case, there also shouldn't be anything where we're like, hey guys, let's not cause people to sin. That's good. And so let's just answer every question. Let's do it with with not just class, but with scripture and humility and with gentleness. And I don't want to surprise that person. Almost every time I do this, the person involved is sitting there with me. Yeah. I let them answer as many questions as they want. I correct them when necessary. I give more information. I lean into a little bit. I go, hey, I think this would be helpful. Because one of the things I tell people is, what's your goal? Your goal has been to be a disciple maker. Your goal has been to be a leader. Guess what? You're going to get to model for people what to do. Okay. Yeah. When the sin that so easily entangles all of us has entangled you. Yeah. So start leading now, even in your brokenness. That's good. Okay. Cause you can be, God will use you right now. Maybe not in the way you wanted to be used. I mean, who would want to, but, but boy, don't waste this pain. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. Ted, I, I, I will. So a couple things that I've really appreciated watching you and the other, the other guys lead through some of this is that, um, oftentimes, um, other staff members, other churches will handle this a lot of times. Like in the first five minutes, they've decided what they're going to do with this guy's job and his ministry and those kind of things. And every time I've watched you handle this, you go, Hey, like, we'll get to that. Like those decisions, uh, we will make, you know, we have, we're going to have to, but that's not what's most important right now. It's this individual and you care for that person. And then it kind of, you know, the clarity will unfold, uh, watching this person respond or not respond well and all those kind of things. But, but the question I get a lot, Todd, from other churches is when do I let this person off of our staff? When do I take them back from the front lines? When do we just say, Hey, that was kind of a, a minor infraction and uh, we're just going to acknowledge it and, and press on. How do you think about that? Yeah. Well, uh, this gets to one of the things we cover in that very quick, real truth, real quick, but I do, uh, Ms. Spurgeon unsurprisingly has said something wise about this. I think at least we attribute this quote to him, which is until a person repentance is as notorious as their sin. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for them to be restored. Mm. You know, I will tell you, it's a real tell when the first reaction or goal of the person being put through a process is, well, how long do you think I got to be in the sidelines? Yeah. So right. That's usually a pretty good indication that what we're dealing with here is a worldly sorrow to quote second uh, Corinthians yeah. seven ten, and not a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow doesn't say, "Hey, how long am I in the penalty box?" Right? I just cross check that guy's bleeding out. But frankly, I don't really care. Right? I just want to get back on the ice. Right? Okay. You know, I think uh, that was for our Canadian friends. <laughs> we found the extensive market research that there are three people that listen to You're the church. Blowing up in Calgary. We yeah, are killing right. it in Calgary. So uh, the rest of you guys, Google it. All right. Um, <laughs> but what? But what I would just say to you, you know, as we uh, do this, the goal is not to get back in the ice. The goal is get back to be intimacy with Christ. Yes. And and so when that person wants to know what they got to do to get back, as opposed to, hey, I just want to, I want to renew um, who I am in Jesus. And I trust you guys. I know you love me. Yeah. And then I think they also would realize that depending on the level uh, of the breach of trust, it's going to take some people, they go, I don't know if I could ever follow that person again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have had, I think as many stories where they, people were restored right back to their job. Um, and there's a few that were just, um, I think, I can think of one specifically where I would say that person um, so thoroughly corrupted the trust that uh, they wouldn't be put back in that position. That doesn't mean they won't be leaders here in the church again. Yeah. And by the way, it doesn't mean I won't have communion with them tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So being restored in a Christian fellowship, that's immediate. 
Yeah. Okay. Be restored to Christian leadership. That's sometimes. That's different. That's different. Yeah. It's so good. So Todd, can you just give us a few examples? I mean, obviously strip out names and uh, maybe some specific circumstances, but, but what was the, the breach of trust that was too great? What was the, um, the, the posture of the heart that was, um, that was a tell and just kind of how, how you walk through some of those specific, uh, instances. Yeah. So first of all, there is not a clear playbook here. There you go. Okay. I mean, so I, I, by that, I mean, so there's good. not a Mishnah that we have written that interprets, uh, every detail of every application of the law because it's endless. Every situation is nuanced. Every, every situation has a different ripple effect. And this is why, okay. Um, you know, first of all, in James chapter one, verse five, it says, man, if, if in the midst of a chaos or trouble or trials, you like wisdom, ask of God. Yeah. Okay. Hey, for our friends that graduated from Clemson, what's a Mishnah? Thanks <laughs> <laughs> trying to loop in our Hebrew friends. Yes. Okay. Okay. That was so inclusive. Go uh-huh. ahead. Is that, is, that, is that case law? Is that, is that another word for that? It basically, yes. Yeah, the rabbinical <laughs> writings that basically tried to explain, this is what Moses meant. And it became the extensive, uh, uh, you know, let me say this. It's kind of like if you had to figure out, okay, in this situation, that law being implied yeah. in this county on that day by that person, this is how you handle it. There we go. And and I'm, I'm just telling you, you can't write enough yeah. case studies to get every single um, case where you can just go, okay. Yeah, that's all like the nuance a, and detail. Yeah, it's not like yeah. rolling a stop sign where you set a fine. Right. Okay. You got to really figure out what's going on. And so um, it takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of care. And I would just say, he who hates, I would say he who makes haste with his feet errs. Mm. Right. And so uh, there's no rush. Like I said, our, our, our rush is to love. Okay. Not to just announce every single detail that we're going to do. But I think we know when that person's wounded enough that for this next season, and we'll let you know, um, you know, what we think. And by the way, we wouldn't reinstall that person without talking at least to the leadership here. All right. We're not going to take a vote, but there's going to be something we know before we bring them back. I think everybody, the reason we celebrate certain leaders is the renown of their faithfulness goes, that person should lead. And we'll all know together when they're there, but the clock hasn't started towards restoration. Uh, the time for restoration has begun and let's just focus on that. So we're talking specifically though, about some cases we've had here at Watermark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've had everything from guys that, um, I would say there was no infidelity, but the condition of their home was not what I would say is consistent with, um, the flourishing of the marriage and the flourishing of the family that got away from some guys. Mm -hmm. And so we've had guys that had to be removed from ministry for a season because their first ministry, Mm. their ministry to their wife and to their kids uh, was at risk. We've had individuals that uh, had not been honest about the constant temptation specifically of the eyes um, and in terms of pornography and how that got away from some guys. We've had inappropriate relationships that were not, uh, sexual uh, intercourse, but involve sexual activity. Yep. Both same sex and opposite sex. Yep. We've had um, actual, you know, fornication and adultery that has happened. And so there's a broad spectrum here that we've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've dealt with what I would say is um, a person who has just been deceitful uh, because of some of their um, anxiety. Uh, or some of their uh, fear of being really, really known. And so they were not honest 
uh, in their communication about uh, why they weren't present at certain things. What I would say is excuse making and entitlement. And then, you know, um, I'm just thinking of a few, um, you know, the last one, you know, we've even had individuals that were um, operating in isolation in a way that they knew wisdom would not have them do. And that was later exposed that they were isolating in terms of the way they were accounting for certain decisions and behaviors. Um, And every one of those has been handled differently in terms of uh, either being reassigned on staff. So sometimes we've moved people out of a position of ministry leadership, but there were other places in the church we could use them that were appropriate. Other times, some of the people were involved um, in aspects of ministry that frankly didn't have a lot of outward ministry focus. So you think about folks that are in maybe your accounting areas or folks in your IT or people that might be um, handling uh, not stage ministries and not leadership ministries, but that are doing things that make the ministry run that um, just with other checks and balances and other appropriate ways to encourage them, not a lot of their job needed to change, depending on which one of those things above we were talking about. Yeah. But um, all of them uh, have been handled in a way that they knew that our greatest concern was not keeping a talented person in the job, but keeping that person uh, in, in a really healthy place uh, with their own personal walk with Christ. And we as leaders didn't decide that alone in isolation. We decided with their community, with their families, yep. with others in the body of Christ who loved them and cared for them. And frankly, we needed them to sometimes. It's kind of like, let me say this. I'll say it this way. You don't want the head coach deciding whether or not the star quarterback should miss a game. He needs some uh, academics in the room uh, who aren't as vested in this weekend's performance, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, whose job it isn't to replace them uh, on the offensive line. Uh, otherwise, the game won't go the way you want it to. You need people to go, hey, man, listen, <laughs> you know, are you being so wooed by that guy's giftedness or that gal's value to you that you're yeah. not really seeing yeah. what's best for them? And so you don't want just the people that are over them that need them making that decision. And so that's where as as leaders, I would cause call in wise counsel yep. and make sure that others are speaking to it, not just you, yeah. from a, either a PR or a utility perspective. And a couple so, of those examples, uh, also, we haven't stated it uh, explicitly, there have been some that when they confessed, it was really clear that immediately there was a job termination. Yes. And the, so the, in all those examples, we did have a few of those. Some right. of them were even hard. Right. Yeah. And, but, but, you know, I was just trying to do mental math, Todd, as you were running through those. I think about 80% of those people, even even the ones that were terminated immediately, uh, are still at our church. Yeah. And I've got a couple names that are just coming to mind. And I just, I mean, I'll just use the word proud, but I'm so proud of I can of think of church. one that's not. Yeah. Okay. I, Let me just go that way. I yeah. mean, rather than thinking 80%, yeah. I can think of one. Okay. Maybe better said. Yeah. That isn't. And so I think that comes from that. No, generally we're concerned about you as a brother or sister in Christ more than we are about the reputation of this church or what you gave to us or what you provided for us or how you made our lives easier because you did this. And, and, uh, I, those feel like our church's finest moments. And yeah. I'm thinking about a, a, a person that was on my team and, uh, and we were all heartbroken and she was thoroughly convinced that we were for her and she and her husband are still here at this church and they now are leading, um, in, in some smaller ways. And there's no, like no one ducks or breaks eye contact when they, they come, there's a legitimate brother and sister in Christ, everything's restored. And it just feels the way the church is supposed to look and the way it's supposed to work. And I, I think it's, it's been some of the, like, our finest moments yeah, I feel like is our community. Let me just say this about the one that's not, they were for a year. 
Yeah. And they were restored and cared for, being pursued. I restored. We restored back into fellowship in every way as best we could. And then eventually they just got weary doing good yeah, and they went right. back to the vomit. That's yeah. Right. right. So after a year, so that's why they're not because um, they're not with their spouse anymore. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's tragic, but you're right, John. And not only have some of them that we talked about, um, I, I, I'll just think of one, uh, uh, one of our, our leaders that was struggling with pornography that had, had, had really consumed his heart, dealt with it in a way we took him out of, uh, of, of, a human leadership position and we needed, we were starting some things where we needed some extra guys on some of our uh, other teams that wasn't going to affect um, kind of a, a discipleship leadership ministry, but that was really doing significant ministry for our church mm-hmm. in, a, in a quiet way on a team with others around him that's now been restored like Joseph, yeah, that's right? right? That's right. I mean, th- this guy is not just back in the job he was in, but has been promoted well beyond that. And everybody here would say, I'll follow that guy. Yeah. Let me just remind us of this, right? Um, almost every single person, like like one of the things that just, just cracks me up sometimes about Christians is we act like, um, unless you have been somehow um, avoided all the scars of sin from the crib forward, you can't be in Christian ministry. Right. That is crazy. We have people on our church staff that live some of the most profane lives that your imagination could allow you to think and then came to know Christ. Yes. And now they are leading in our ministry. And people go, well, of course. Right, I mean that's no big deal, right? The garrison demoniac. I guess he could have been a leader, right? Uh, the the woman caught in the act of adultery when she got her act together. Maybe she could have been a great leader. Mary Magdalene with the seven demons, whatever those manifested like in her life. Oh, she was a leader that followed Christ. But it's like if for some reason you were a disciple of Jesus for I don't know, let's just say two and three quarters of a year, and then you publicly denied him three times, you're done forever. Well, no. Right, mm. you became the very pillar and the foundation of the church. There you go. So just because, okay, you make a mistake or sin while you've already taken the name of Jesus, that doesn't mean you can't ever lead with Jesus again. And let me just remind you, some of us that are are currently involved in ministry, you need to uh, know that the the tenderness that Christ wants you to have, because of knowing where you came from, should be widely known. So this is Titus 3, right? Titus 3 just um, talks about how every single one of us has come from this craziness of being disobedient, deceived, uh, enslaved Mm -hmm. to various lusts and pleasures. We spend our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But Mm. the kindness of God appeared. There you go. Right? And so this can happen, Adam, even to guys that have been faithful for years in ministry, that you can Take your eye off the ball. Stop walking with Jesus. Stop living in accountability. Maybe being unwise uh, in your relationships and thinking for some reason you're immune to it because you've got a good 10-year winning streak. And all of a sudden, go back to being hateful and hating one another and being filled with various lusts and pleasures. And God can still eventually maybe restore you. Possibly not back to that same body in the same way. But maybe... Maybe you could. Yeah. Just don't you decide when that is. Yeah. Let the body decide when that is by you being the person who sinned. Do that. So let's just remember it's not like um, only people that sin before Jesus can be restored to the most prominent places yeah. in ministries. Even some of the folks that are, it's going to maybe take a little while back because a brother offended is more difficult to be one than a strong city. Mm. And you're going to offend people differently when you've been taking the name of Christ. And you take that guy's wife as opposed to just taking that guy's wife when you're just a pagan, right? So it it is a little different. 
right? When you are a person representing yourself one way and living another, right? From that, that proverb I just quoted, a brother yeah. offended is more difficult to be one than a strong city. But hey, all of us have come out of this life that if it weren't for Jesus, you know, we'd be making a mess of these things. Yeah. As we're having this it. conversation, it's dawning on me that this really is almost the exact same conversation we had when we were talking about church discipline, because mm. that's essentially yeah. what this is, that's, yeah, right? You know, these that's are, good. these are staff members, but they're members of this local that's body. Right. That's right. And so some of the, the exact same principles that we apply when dealing with a staff member or, or excuse me, with a church member, we're dealing the exact, the exact same thing with staff members. And I'm sure we said it during that episode. And if not, let's just say it again. Those who stay at this church, when they've yeah. gone through any sort of a discipline process, it is just remarkable how healthy they yeah. become, which is yeah. not unique to our church. I bet any church around the country would say that, That, and really around the world that would say, yeah, if we put somebody through a, discip- a discipline process, when they stay, they get better. It's when they run and isolate from us going, if you really loved me, you wouldn't treat me this way. That's usually when things get worse. Yeah. And uh, we see that play out with our members here, and we see that play out with staff members as well. Yeah, John, you made allusion to this about how the reason so many folks who have struggled, staff members get to be Christians. Okay. That's right. And Christians need the body of Christ around them. There we go. That's what I mean about shooting the wounded. We don't do that. We just taking a person from a position where the pressures and the uh, the platforms are creating part of the systemic issues in their life that are hurting them, removing them from that isn't shooting them, it's helping them. Yeah. And then for them to leave that community that cares for them and has a responsibility, frankly, to them, says that, that person is not really committed to getting well, right? Guilt and shame is probably still ruling too much in their life. And it is amazing, not only just how many people in Watermark have struggled and stay and get well and get restored, but how many pastors of other churches and staff members of other churches have come here Mm -hmm. because they go, I can't do this at my church. And I go, well, gosh, how can we help that church be a church? Because that would be the healthiest place for you to do it. That's right. And if you can't do it there, there's something really, really wrong, either with you or with them. And let's, let's do all we can to deal with it. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, there's, yeah, it'd be another episode. How do you create a culture where this is, where it's good and um, even it's at times just celebrated to be honest. Um, and I think that's, that's part of it is, you know, Todd, I think it starts from the top. Just, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to confess at the, the thought or the seed level and no one's going to, you know, DQ me for ministry. No one's going to run out of the room. I think that's part of it. I think also uh, oftentimes churches are surprised to hear that our staff members are in community groups and they're shepherded there. They don't get a pass once they're in a small group and they don't, they don't get to just uh, pick up the leadership mantle and, uh, and just get, you know, yeah, again, this free pass on any sin area in their lives, all these, these issues that I think you alluded to, but just to make sure people understand when uh, staff members going through any type of church discipline or any, uh, any of these conversations, the community group generally is there with them. Their community group is going, we're going to shepherd this man or this woman. They're part of our body. They're not somehow set apart or unique. And I think that's part of what creates this really healthy culture is we don't have a set above, set apart mentality. They're just part of the family well, and they're I, sheep. I, I, people, I hope you're still listening because what John just shared is so key to, to how this can be just the normal course of things. It's yeah. tragic, but this is earth and we shouldn't be surprised. And people on staff are Christian Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Christians are at war. And so we make war against sin, but every now and then something happens and the body should be able to love them. If you've got a clergy staff distinction, you've got a, uh, 
clergy staff dysfunction. <laughs> okay. And so I'm just telling you, you know, you've got to make sure that, that the body is not making it like there's some glorified saints that God has let stay here and to help the broken and the weak. We're all broken and weak. And some of us, by the grace of God, have have earned the right and the privilege of leadership. But when leaders fail, it's not a failure to Christianity. It's a failure to Christianity when we don't do what Christians do in light of that failure. So let me, you know, I'll tell you, we'll give another gem for folks that wait around. All right. Um, Haldrick Zwingli. You ever heard of him? No. Okay. You've heard of Zwingli. Zwingli. Yeah. yeah. Zwingli, like the yeah. great Swedish oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. reformer. Didn't know okay. his first name. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that first okay. name. Thrown off. So, uh, yeah, but he, um, in, in, well, we know what God did with him. I mean, he was almost a, a sharpener of Calvin. Right, yeah. but when he first started in ministry, uh, he was accused of impregnating a young woman as a Christian mm. at, at a parish. All right, Zwingli, and there was a great inquisition, and you know, um, a lot of folks dove into this and looked, and um, it was determined that he hadn't, and he was confirmed. And then he began to preach the sermons that basically, you know, became the Great Reformation in Zurich. Um, what's interesting is that there was a scholar, a big Zwingli fan, that followed him and studied him extensively. And uh, he dug into one of Zwingli's books, his own volume, and he found in there a letter in Zwingli's handwriting where he confessed it was true. Uh, wow. He was a fornicator. Uh, where he repented with godly sorrow. He committed himself to chaste and holy life after that. Now, what's interesting is they, I think what happened is the reformers around him at the time had made a decision. I mean, if we say this is true, right, it's going to feed the Roman narrative. The only reason we're breaking off is because we can't hold the purity of the priesthood. Right. And we just want to be able to be with women. But anyway, they covered it up. You know what's so interesting about this and why this is so relevant? So did this scholar. He was so shook that his hero could have done this, even as a reformed Christian, that he had done this and impregnated a person in their congregation, that he took the letter and he put it in the candle in front of him to wow. burn the evidence of it. And it was halfway through the burning of that letter that he was convicted and he grabbed it with an aid and blew it out. And they preserve. We still have half of that confession by Zwingli. And he just said, you know what? And it was it's a great study in how the church thinks, man, if we talk about the fact that God can't use men that are sordidly tempted by sin or that have had a past failure, you know, um, let me just remind you that truth is truth because it's true, not because of the vessel that's delivering it. There you go. Okay. And so do, just don't be surprised that God is using imperfect and broken individuals to deliver great and amazing truth. All right. God has um, one perfect son. All right. And the rest of us are nothing but erring children. That perfect son is, as I said, the one and almost started the whole episode. He hasn't changed yesterday, today, or forever. The rest of us have to always ask our body for forgiveness for what isn't fully Christ-like about Mm -hmm. us. But there are times, and we've dedicated now a whole episode to this, there are times where the um, behavior and the brokenness violates an appropriate level of trust that should have us off the front lines of leadership for a while. I like that. 
I love it. Well, brother, it is so fun to uh, uh, learn from you, sit under your leadership in these moments. Um, I think the story that you just mentioned about the uh, modern day Joseph, mm. uh, we'll get to share at some point and it is going to be much rejoicing. There's so much yeah. good and right uh, about that. And I hope churches listening in uh, have their own versions of that story. Yeah. And uh, so just anybody listening right now might just spun off in their head because they think, well, Joseph didn't fornicate, right? He didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife right. and that Joseph did. Thank and I you. would just say, right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yes, he did. Uh, this Joseph in his mind had, had you know, fornicated, yeah. all right, but he hadn't been unfaithful to his wife. But anyway, what's important there uh, is that young sinner, right, uh, was restored. So if you don't like that analogy that I use and John repeated, then just go to Peter and be encouraged by him. There you go. We could just, re, you want to just redo the whole thing right there. No, I, that was uh, good. That was no, good. That was, good. That was yeah, really was good. good. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right. Todd, thanks so much for being with us today. It's always great having you in studio. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode or topics you would like for us to consider for future episodes, feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. That helps people find us. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time.